we are going to try having uh, each week a reader do what Larry just did, uh, read the sermon text um, before the preacher gets up to, to preach upon it. So uh, if that's something you'd be interested in doing, especially if you're a member of the church, we'd love to know that. Some people may be nervous to pray aloud or an impromptu prayer, um, but you may feel a lot more comfortable to read the text of Scripture. So if you'd be interested in it or willing in doing that, uh, we'd love to hear from you and invite you and put you on a schedule uh, to do that. But the text that, that Larry just read is the text we're going to be in today. So in your copy of the scripture, I would encourage you uh, to turn to that, to Romans chapter 10. Uh, I wanted to start this morning's sermon by reading uh, a short parable of sorts that I found uh, as I was going back through some old notes this week, a, an old parable that a, a, a pastor had written a few years back uh, about evangelism in particular. And he was building off this analogy that Jesus himself would use of being fishermen. If you've read the Bible much at all, if you read the story of Jesus, you uh, remember that he was working with fishermen often, and he called them to become what he called fishers of men, uh, to, to go for the souls of men and women and children, to, to seek to bring them to the Lord. He said, follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. But I wanted to read this to you, and, and hearing this parable, see if this doesn't describe us at times, if it doesn't describe you uh, at times. He wrote this. Now it came to pass that a group existed who called themselves fishermen. And lo, there were many fish in the waters all around. In fact, the whole area was surrounded by streams and lakes filled with fish, and the fish were hungry. Week after week, month after month, and year after year, these who called themselves fishermen met in meetings and talked about their call to fish, the abundance of fish, and how they might go about fishing. Year after year, they carefully defined what fishing means, defended fishing as an occupation, and declared that fishing is always to be a primary task of fishermen. Continually, they searched for new and better methods of fishing and for new and better definitions of fishing. They created witty slogans and displayed them on big, beautiful banners. These fishermen built large, beautiful buildings called fishing headquarters, the plea was that everyone should be a fisherman and every fisherman should fish. One thing they didn't do, however, they did not fish. In addition to meeting regularly, they organized a board to send out fishermen to other places where they might, where there may be many fish. They hired staff and appointed committees and held many meetings to define fishing, defend fishing, decide what new streams should be thought about. But the staff and committee members did not fish. Large, elaborate, expensive training centers were built whose original and primary purpose was to teach fishermen how to fish. And over the years, courses were offered on the needs of fish, the nature of fish, where to find fish, the psychological reactions of fish, how to approach and feed fish. Those who taught had doctorates in fishology, but the teachers did not fish. They only taught fishing. Year after year after tedious training, many were graduated and many given fishing licenses. They were sent to do full-time fishing, some to distant waters, which were filled with fish. Many who felt the call to be fishermen responded. They were commissioned and sent to fish. But like the fishermen back home, they never fished. They engaged in all kinds of other occupations. Some felt their job was to relate to the fish in a good way, so the fish would know the difference between good and bad fishermen. Others felt that simply letting the fish know they were nice, land-loving neighbors and how loving and kind they were was enough. Now it's true that many of the fishermen sacrificed and put up with all kinds of difficulties, 
Some lived near the water and bore the smell of dead fish every day. They received the ridicule of some who made fun of their fishermen's clubs and the fact that they claimed to be fishermen yet never fished. Imagine how hurt some were when one day a person suggested that those who don't fish were really not fishermen, no matter how much they claimed to be. Yet it did sound correct. Is a person a fisherman if year after year he never fishes? When I read that, that was convicting to me. Uh, we, we talk a lot uh, based on the commands of Jesus about being fishermen of men, of seeking the souls of those who are lost, of seeking to win them to Christ and tell them about Christ. And we talk about talking to them a lot. But how often do we actually do it? Like how often do we actually fish? Are we fishermen in name only or in act as well? And that's one thing as we're starting this year, we want to dedicate this month to preaching sermons about this topic of evangelism, of soul winning, of being fishermen, fisherwomen, fisher children, if we're followers of Jesus, of the lost. And we want to start, well, there will be many things we unfold over the course of this year, different classes and opportunities and trainings, uh, uh, prayer times, things like that for the topic of evangelism to equip us and grow us in this way. But we want to start in the Word of God and in our gatherings on Sunday mornings to hear what He has to say directly from His Word about this task of winning souls of telling people about Christ and bringing them to Christ. Uh, we're going to go over the next couple of weeks. We're going to cover topics like next Sunday. We're going to talk about from the scriptures why we don't do this. Like what are some of the things that keep us or reasons we make up for why we don't do it. Uh, two weeks from now, we're going to talk about uh, from the scriptures what we say when we go to talk to people about Christ. What are we to say? And then the last Sunday, Pastor Larry is going to preach a sermon uh, under the heading of how we pray. As we go talk to people, as we sow the seeds, as we cast the, the lines out into the, or the nets out into the lake, uh, how are we to pray for ourselves and for those we're speaking to? But today we want to start with a much more foundational question, a much more foundational issue, and that's this question of why we must do this. Why do we have to do this? Where we come out of the womb almost as soon as we can talk. That's the first question we ask is why? Why do I have to do that? Why, are you tell why should I have to do this? Why, why, why? It is not a bad question to ask. It's a good question to ask. Why does God call us to share with the lost, to go with the gospel to them? Why must we do this? And that's the, the question we want to see answered in the text that Larry read for us today, uh, Romans 10, 13 through 17. So if you found that text, I'm not going to reread it since Larry already aptly did that for us, but I do want you to have it open so you can see uh, what I'm speaking of and see how God uh, talks about this issue of why we must share the gospel, why we must uh, be about this topic and this task of soul winning and fishing uh, for men. But I'm going to uh, preach under three headings today from this text about why we must. The first one is going to be uh, the most simple one. It's this, is that salvation is needed. That's reason number one that we need to take the gospel to people is because salvation is is needed. If you have that text open, you can see this in the very first verse that Larry read for us, Romans chapter 10, verse 13. Uh, that verse said that for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be, and then this is the word I want you to pay attention to, will be saved. Don't let your eyes move past that word. Uh, that salvation is something that is necessary for human beings. 
It's necessary if they are to be right with God. It's necessary if they're to have hope of forgiveness, of eternal life. There is salvation. There is saving that needs to take place in every single human being's life. This is a universal need for us as human beings, for yourself, for everyone that you know, all the people in your family, your sweet little grandchildren, to the most vile person that you know. We all need saving. We all need salvation. It's a universal human need. But the question that we should ask is, we need to be saved. We will be saved from what? What, what are we to be saved from? What is the need of salvation for? What do we need saving from? And you see over and over again, even earlier in this very letter that the Apostle Paul wrote, we see that Scripture is very clear what we need saving from, what our neighbors need saving from, what people all over this world and throughout time need saving from. We need saving uh, from some pretty awful things. Uh, These are not light needs. We need saving, for example, from the wrath of God. As, as weird as that may sound, we need saving from God himself because we've offended him. We, we have wronged him. We have disobeyed him. We've rejected him as human beings. And as a just God, he must punish that. He must deal with the sin of human beings. So we need saving from the judgment of God himself. We need saving from his wrath, saving from his judgment for our sin. We need saving from hell. We need saving from that that place, that destination that all of us are careening towards as human beings apart from Jesus. We need saving from hell and an eternity of judgment from God. We need saving from the power of sin in our life. We all are born into this world under the, the chains of sin. We sang earlier about how our chains are gone if we're united to Jesus, but that's not how we're born. We're born with the chains of sin around us, unable to even obey God, even if we thought that our hearts wanted to. We need saving from Satan, from his power, from his rule, from his reign in our life. We need saving. Human beings, uh, despite what our world will tell us today, we are not good in the sight of God on our own. We are not even neutral in the sight of God on our own. Like We are enemies to God. We are hostile to God. We, we reject God. We are guilty of treason, to borrow a, a human term. We're guilty of treason towards God. But this is not how people typically view themselves today. That we don't often open the word of God and let him tell us about ourselves. We like to just operate with our own assumptions about how good we are, or at least how neutral we are towards God. And I would say this is particularly the case in a town like Winona Lake. In a, a county like Kosciuszko County, uh, we, it is a great irony, and I, I don't totally understand why, but in towns and communities like ours where the gospel has been so prevalent, where the good news of Christ has been preached for so long and so well and so strongly, ironically, in a town like ours with a deep Christian heritage, people actually tend to view their sin as less of a problem than more of a problem. Because we live in a culture and a community that's so salted with Christianity, if you want to think of it that way, we all tend to think that we're pretty good, that, that we're moral, we're upright, we're, we're in decent standing, at least with God, or we're part of families that respect and revere him, and we are lulled to sleep. We, are, are, we, are, uh, we become deaf to God telling us of our guilt and of our sin and our need of salvation. We think that we are okay, and so we tend to think that our deepest need, the thing we need saving from, is just things like well, I need some guidance from God. I'm just kind of lost. I need just some guidance from him. Or I, I need some companionship. I feel lonely. 
I need some fulfillment. I need some self-actualization, those types of things. And we don't remember that we need salvation from hell. We need salvation from the wrath and the judgment of God. There is much at stake when it comes to the souls of the people in our community, the, the, the souls of people uh, in our workplaces, in our neighborhoods. There's a reason we're calling this series Soul Winning as opposed to just evangelism. We talk about evangelism all the time. It kind of goes in one ear and out the other, like go tell people the good news. But when we use that old phrase that people used to use of soul winning, I hope that we remember what is at stake. That we remember that human beings apart from the work of Christ and apart from being united with him are destined to hell. They are under the judgment of God. There is an infinite, eternal soul at stake with every human being that you interact with. And we have a responsibility to invite them to the one who can save them. We, we have been called to do this. We are, are commanded to do this. We need ourselves and we need all the human beings that we get to interact with in this world to see ourselves the way God sees us. To not just take our assumptions about our issues and our problems and how small we may think they are, but we need to hear God speak to us that we need saved, that we need salvation. This includes this need of salvation, the fact that salvation is needed is universal. I was thinking about this. It is easy for us to think salvation is needed as we imagine missionaries going into to tribes or villages or whatnot where they worship false gods overtly. Where, where they worship them, they set up idols, they have religious systems that they've built up, and they are, are blatantly worshiping false gods. They are obviously in need of salvation in our eyes, but so are the people here. The fact that they worship gods of, of reputation or of financial stability or, or of accolades or applause of people does not mean that they are less in need of salvation. Every human being in every corner of this world, including ours, needs salvation from God's judgment. This is as true uh, for men as it is for women, for the old as it is for the young. It's as true for the people who sleep in warm, comfy beds on the lakefront of Winona Lake as it is to people who lay their heads on cold pillows in the jail downtown. Every human being needs salvation. Every person in this room needs salvation. Every person in this county needs salvation. Salvation is deeply, deeply needed. And the fact that people don't realize they are in danger doesn't mean they're not in danger, does it? That they can say all they want. We can say all we want that I'm good with God. Surely God would approve of me. Surely God loves me. Surely God uh, forgives me. But the fact that people don't realize they're in danger doesn't mean they're not in danger. In fact, that is a worse state to be in. It is a worse state to be in when you're in danger and you don't even know it. And you don't even acknowledge it. You deny it. I, I don't watch these often, but I, I think of like shows I, I used to watch when I was a kid, like on Discovery Channel and things like that, where uh, when there's this lion coming, most of the animals kind of clue in, like, oh, there's a lion running at me. But there's always this one little helpless gazelle who doesn't hear the lion coming or doesn't hear the, the hooves running away, and they don't even realize they're in danger. That doesn't help them, that they don't realize they're in danger. It hurts them. They're in more danger when they don't realize that, that this lion is coming, when they're just oblivious to it. 
being oblivious is not helpful. It's more dangerous. Or if, think of the, if there's a fire spreading. The person who is sleeping next to the fire that is spreading is not better off than the one who's awake and sees it. They're worse off when they're sleeping next to the fire, when they're oblivious to it. So it, it is not helpful. It is not good for people to be unaware of the danger that they're in, the, the need of salvation that they have. We all need salvation, and it would behoove us to hear God say that and to acknowledge the truthfulness of it, that we all need salvation. In the medical field, it, it doesn't do any good for a doctor to, to, um, to deny the seriousness of a patient's condition, does it? If they know the seriousness of it and they withhold that information from a person, that's not loving. That's not kind. That's not helpful to that person. They need to be alerted to their peril, to their plight, to the condition that they're in so they can know how to treat it. And the same is true of us. Like we need to acknowledge that every human being is in need of salvation. That their diagnosis is not one that's just trivial. It's not just some small sickness. It is a sickness of soul. It is a rebellion against God that is veering them towards hell and judgment of God. And we need to acknowledge that ourselves and then to make that known to people. It does, us, does them no good for us to stay silent and to not let them know that they need to be saved. But thankfully, this is not all this text says. In fact, it's not even the main point to say that people need to be saved, although it's implied in that word saved at the end of verse 13. But uh, there is two other truths here that we see that should motivate us to share. It's not just the need of salvation. That should make us compassionate. That should break our hearts to know that people need saving. But what should move us to actually start to tell them the good news is that salvation is promised as well, to all those who will call upon Christ. Uh, that it's not just a need that should lead us to be compassionate and have our hearts break for people, but there's a promise given in this text that should compel us to tell them the good news, that should compel us to share the good news with them. And you see this in verse 13, the fuller sentence. He says this, For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Praise God for that sentence. Not just the, that people need salvation, but salvation is promised to all those who will call upon Christ. Paul is quoting the, the prophet Joel from Joel chapter 2, which seems to be a really important text to the apostle. It's quoted in a few different places. But he's quoting this Old Testament text and saying it's true in his day, it's true in our day as we read this now, that everyone who calls upon the name of Christ will be saved. This is glorious for us to hear. There's so much embedded just in this one text. This shows us that, A, that God is willing to save. He didn't have to give salvation to anyone. He didn't have to extend it, grant it, give it to any of us rebels, to any of us who are traitors against him. But this text says that he is willing. It indicates that he is willing to save human beings. He's not just a God of justice and of wrath, of hatred of sin. He is those things. But he's also a God of grace and a God of mercy, a God of compassion who extends salvation as a gift to all those who will call upon the name of his son, Jesus. So this, this verse shows us that God is willing to save human beings, but praise God, it also shows us that he is able to save human beings. 
Because there's a big difference between wanting to provide salvation and actually being able to do it. There's a lot of things I wish that I could do, that I want to do, that I long to do, that I can't do. And you probably have things that are like that for you. But what God, when God wants to do something, he is able to do it. He says, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. It's not just a possibility. It's not just something that, that may be able to happen to some people when they call upon the name of the Lord. But everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. I think we all know times in our life where we would like to help someone. We see someone in need. We see somebody in a really desperate spot and our heart oozes for them. We want to help them, but we can't. We don't have the resources. We don't have the know-how. We don't have the ability. We're not capable of doing it. We don't have what they need, but God does have what we need and is able to provide what we need in this gift of salvation. But it's not given to everyone. Did you notice that? He says, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Salvation comes through a very specific channel, a very specific person, the person of Christ, the one that he calls the Lord here. It is everyone who calls on the name of the Lord that will be saved. And thank God that he has made the way of salvation clear for us. That he didn't just say, hey, there's salvation that I offer and I'll provide it. But he tells us how it comes to be. That it, that it comes to be through calling on the name of the Lord. Calling upon the name of Jesus is the way that salvation comes to us. He's not left us just mysteriously to figure this out on our own. It comes through calling upon Christ. And this is not just some magic prayer that we can say. It's not as if we can just say, some, some formula of words that we mash up together and say, well, I prayed that to God. I called upon Jesus. Now he is obligated to save me. No, it's much deeper than that. You see, God knew our plight. He knew our condition. He knew that we were destined to be recipients of his judgment and anger. But before time began, he planned to send a savior. We celebrate this at Christmas that he sent his son, who we came to know as Jesus, into the world as a human being. And he lived a life for 30-some years of, of gaining a perfect record for us before God, gaining us good standing as a human being before God. And then he died on the cross as a substitute, as a sacrifice for the sins of us, for the sins of others, so that our, our records could be made clean, that the, the guilt and the judgment for those sins could be removed from us. God had him be laid in a tomb, having died as a sacrifice for us. But on the third day, he raised him back to life. And a few weeks after that, he ascended back up into heaven where he is right now. And he is the one now who is with God the Father that we can call upon. Say, save me. I know I am a sinner. I am undeserving. I can do nothing to get back to God. But you have done what is needed to get me. You have done what is necessary to reconcile me to God, to restore me back to him. Thank you. Please forgive me. I call upon you. And if that is the attitude of our hearts, as the rest of this text says, that, that springs from belief, that, that, that springs from hearing that good news of Jesus, when we call upon the name of Christ that way, when we call upon him, this text tells us that everyone who does that will be saved. 
That is not just some possibility. That's not just some hypothetical. It says that it will happen. God says he will do that. God keeps his promises. There is salvation in no other means, no other person, no other way other than calling upon Christ. When we have different needs in our lives today that may be smaller, more simple needs, we can have things that get us out of those jams. Money will solve a lot of problems in this world. Charm will solve a lot of problems in this world. A good reputation or ability to influence people will get us out of a lot of problems in this world. But there is nothing that will provide you salvation from sin, salvation from the judgment of God, other than calling upon the name of our Savior Jesus. That is the only way of salvation. It's not just one among many. It is the way of salvation. And praise God that he has guaranteed it. He does not say that some who call on the name of the Lord might be saved. He says everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. That includes you. That includes your neighbor. That includes your child. It includes everyone on the corners and far corners of this planet. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. God does not discriminate on this front. There, there is no difference between the oldest, the youngest, male, female, the privileged, the unprivileged, the, the people of different ethnicities, people who grew up in different religious backgrounds, whether Christian or otherwise. We all must call upon the name of Christ if we are to be saved. And God promises to provide it if we do. So thank God that it's not just that salvation is needed, but salvation is promised to all those who will call upon Christ, all who will cry out to him in repentance and faith. The last thing that I wanted you to see in this text from verses 14 uh, down through 17 is this third heading that not just salvation is needed, not just that salvation is promised, as glorious as those things are, And many of us have been recipients of that. But to see this third heading, what Paul's really emphasizing here is that preaching is necessary. Preaching is necessary if salvation is going to be granted. If salvation is going to be experienced and received, preaching is necessary. You see Paul uses this logic with questions starting in verse 14, doesn't he? So he just said that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. But then he kind of backs up. I really appreciate Pastor Larry often asks the question. I don't know if he made this up or heard it from somebody else, but what has to happen for that to happen? Uh, In our meetings, a lot of times we'll talk about that. What has to happen for that to happen? That's a good question to ask. So what has to happen for people to call on the name of the Lord? There's some things that have to happen in order for that to happen. And it involves us. Verse 14, he said, he answers this question by moving back in time. He says, how will they call on him in whom they've not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they've never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? So he moves back in time, and the Spirit had this be written down for our instruction to think, yes, praise God, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. But there are some things that have to happen before that. First, and most importantly, they have to actually believe in Christ. It's not, like I said, it's not just some magic formula of words that we string together and we just throw that up to God, and then he's just indebted to forgive us. But it is a call that springs from belief. 
saying, yes, like I, I trust in this Savior. I am confident that he lived for me, that he died for me, that he's been raised for me, that he'll intercede for me before God. That is the type of heart, the believing heart that calls out upon him for salvation. But in order for them to believe that way, in order for that to arise within their hearts, he says this, and this should be obvious to us, but we miss it. He says they have to hear of him. They have to hear of him. It doesn't just magically come about. That, that, that he says, faith, look at verse 17. Faith comes from hearing. If calling upon him comes from faith and belief, that faith and belief comes from hearing the good news about him. It's this chain that keeps going back in time. They, if they're going to call on him, they have to believe in him. If they're going to believe in him, they have to hear from him. And then this is where we come in. He says, if they are going to hear of him, it's going to be because someone preached about him. It's going to be because someone actually told them about him. Someone actually took the time to pursue them, to talk to them, to tell them in as simple a way as they can this good news of Jesus. That you need saving, friend. Let me tell you about the Savior who has come. The, the one who can actually save you from that judgment. Let me tell you about him. There has to be preaching if there's to be faith and if there's to be a calling upon Christ. There has to be the preaching of the good news of Christ. I would say it very simply this way, at the risk of oversimplifying things. If anyone is to be saved by Christ, they must be told of Christ. If anyone is to be saved by Christ, they must be told of Christ. I think this is so painfully obvious that we could miss this. If you're in, in a, a building where there's a fire, you can't go out an emergency exit you're not even aware of, right? You can't undergo treatments for a medical condition that a doctor has never told you about. In order to, to receive something, to, to, to call out upon it, to trust upon it, you have to actually know what it is. You have to know who they are. You have to know the truth about them. If, if, you're gonna, if anyone's going to be saved by Christ, they have to be told of him. They have to have the good news about him preached to them. Now, there are many other things that are helpful in the process of soul winning. There are many other things, and we may talk about these in weeks to come, but I wanted to mention a few. There are some things that are helpful, they're important, that they are advantageous in some ways to winning souls for Christ. But preaching is the thing that is mandatory. The, the preaching of the good news is was absolutely mandatory. Let me tell you some things that are helpful and important, but aren't the thing that is essential. Praying is that is as helpful as you can get in the process of winning souls is praying for those people. The Lord lays someone upon your heart. They're in your family. They're in your neighborhood. They're in your workplace. You ought to be praying for them, praying that God would work in their heart, praying that God would soften them, that he'd bring conviction of sin, that he would give them faith in Christ. We ought to be praying fervently for these people. Prayer is important and powerful, but I would say this. Prayer without preaching is futile. You can pray and pray and pray and pray, but this text, verse 17, remains that faith comes through hearing. 
It comes through hearing. If we pray and pray and pray and we never preach, we're like those fishermen sitting on the seashore saying that we're fishermen, hoping that fish will come in and never casting a line, never throwing a net out. That is foolish. It's nonsensical, but we live that way often, especially as a church and a person which rightfully has a high view of God and salvation, believes and preaches and knows from the word that God saves people. We don't save them. God saves them. He gives them faith. He softens their heart. Sometimes we let that lead us to not actually tell them. We just pray and pray and pray to the God who can change hearts. And then we disobey his command to actually tell them the good news. To actually invite them to the one we have been praying to. So praying is important and helpful, but it's futile if we don't preach let me tell you another, loving people, loving fellow Christians, loving the lost, these things are important and helpful in winning souls. To actually genuinely, sincerely, humbly love people is important, and it's powerful. But let's say you love a non-believer as best as you can. You love them so well. That may turn people's ear towards you to be willing to listen to you, but that will not change their heart. Just watching the way that you live, watching the way even that you serve them will not change their heart. Jesus undeniably said this, and this is true. He said that the, the lost world will know that you are my disciples by your love for one another, right? He said they will know that we are his disciples by the way that we love. He did not say that they will become my disciples by the way that you love, by seeing the way that you love. He said they'll know it's true of you. They'll know it's true of you, but it will not become true of them just by watching the way that you love, by watching the way that you serve. That is not what changes their heart. Another thing that is helpful but not essential, not the, the true source of power, is just living life as a sincere Christian, of seeking to follow Christ, to live out his commands in front of the non-believing world. That is a powerful testimony to the fact that you believe. That will intrigue people. They'll be intrigued about why you live the way that you do, but your life and living it out in front of them will not save people. It will not break their heart. It will not soften their heart. It will not, in and of itself, win them to Christ. People are saved, friends, and I have had to tell this to myself, and I will keep telling it to myself. People are saved by hearing the gospel from Christians, not by seeing Christians live Christianly. People are saved by hearing the gospel from Christians, not just by seeing them. They can look at other religious groups and see some good morality, some selflessness. They could look at, line up the religions. If they know certain people in those religions, they're going to see certain behaviors, certain traits in those people, and they may be intrigued by them. They may be impressed by them. That's not something that's just unique to Christianity and to Christians. But what is unique to Christians is the good news that there is a Savior who has come for us and died for us and been raised for us. And when they hear that, that is the way that the Lord provides salvation. That is the way that faith comes in their heart. I know there's this 
phrase that people like to say that, and there's some truth to this, that the way to a man's heart is through his stomach. Have you heard that phrase before? The man to a way's heart is through his stomach. This text would tell us that the way to a man's soul is through his ears. That if there's going to be a heart that is changed, a soul that is saved, it is going to be by the hearing of the good news of Christ. Faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. We must tell them the good news. We must preach it to them. I want you to see in this text one thing, that preaching is necessary, preaching the gospel is necessary, but it's not automatic. It's not just some magic thing. If I just tell it to them clearly enough, forcefully enough, compelling enough, it will bring about salvation. It is not automatic. In verse 16, we see this, right? He says, they have not all obeyed the gospel. And then he quotes Isaiah, where Isaiah asks this rhetorical question. He says, Lord, who has believed what he's heard from us? And the, the inference from that, even in Isaiah's day, and this is true in our day, is that when people hear, they're not always going to believe. They may hear you clearly, passionately, selflessly articulate the good news of Christ to them. And we'll talk more about how to do that. They may hear you say that to them, but that does not mean they automatically will come to faith. That they'll just have faith spring up within them. There are some who hear and do not believe. There are many who hear and do not believe. But I will tell you this, there are none who believe without hearing. There are many who hear and don't believe, but there are none who believe without hearing first. It must come to them. This good news of Christ must come to them through their ears. It could come through their eyes, through written words, but it has to be words and content, this good news of Christ that comes to them. That is what produces faith. That's the tool God uses to produce faith in people. I said earlier, if anyone's to be saved by Christ, they must be told of Christ. I want to add a couple words on the end of that sentence, lest there be any confusion. If anyone's to be saved by Christ, they must be told of Christ, I would say this, by Christians like us. That if people are going to be saved by Christ, they must be told of him, and they'll be told of him by Christians like us. When we see the word preaching here, that, hey, if you back up this chain, preaching is necessary. Preaching the gospel is necessary. Sometimes we just think of something like what's happening right now, where there's a person who when the church is gathered, that they preach the word of God to the congregation. That is a form of preaching. That's a unique form of preaching and teaching that we see commanded and explained in Scripture. But what Paul is talking about here is a broader type of preaching that any Christian can that any Christian should do, that any Christian must do. It's this simple proclamation of the good news of Jesus to people who don't believe it. We all are given a responsibility to preach. I love in verse 14, and I know he's talking in just kind of broad, abstract things, but I love the, uh, the, the word that he says. How are they to hear without someone preaching? The message is what's important, but it comes through people like us. Normal Christian people like us have a responsibility to preach. The, the, the power comes not through just the person, but through the message and the person that it is about. So they must hear of Christ from Christians like us. Did you note that that chain that he started doesn't end with just preaching? He says, how are they to preach unless they're sent? We'll talk about this more in weeks to come, but I want us to remember that we have been sent. 
all of us, not just preachers who preach in the assembled gathering, but every Christian has been sent by Christ to preach him, to tell other people about him. In Second Corinthians, there's a few texts that describe this, but Second Corinthians 5.20 describes us as ambassadors for Christ. And then he, he d- describes us as God making his appeal through us. God makes his appeal to non-believers through people like us who have a powerful message, a powerful gospel to share with them. So if anyone's to be saved by Christ, they must be told of Christ by people like us. In the weeks ahead, we're going to have a few more sermons on this subject of soul winning. Um, we'll, we'll cover those as they come in the weeks ahead. Um, but this is a, a, a topic, this is a subject of eternal significance of infinite significance, and I'm not exaggerating that. As we think about the souls that are at stake of the people that we love and know already or the people that we have yet to meet in our community, there is much at stake. Next week, we're going to discuss some of the reasons we don't typically engage in soul winning and see what the scriptures would have to say about it. But I want to end by saying this just in advance. I think one of the reasons we don't tell other people this good news of Christ this wouldn't be true of all in this room, but I think it probably is true of some in this room, that one of the reasons we don't preach the good news of Christ is because we don't believe it ourselves. Like we've grown up around it. We've heard it. We've heard it. We've heard it. We've heard it. We may on some level even believe the facts of it, but our hearts have not been moved to actually call upon Christ, to acknowledge our desperate need, our, our guilt, our desperate need of salvation, our, our deep gratitude that a way of salvation, a person who's a savior has been given to me. We've heard it, but we've not believed it and not called out upon that savior. We've just assumed it. I, I don't fly a lot, and I may have used this illustration before. I, I can't remember, but uh, when I fly, I always appreciate the one, you know how they give like the little directions, the stewardesses or whatever at the beginning of like, buckle your seatbelt in the event of an emergency, do blah, blah, blah. There's one line in that that they say that I was thinking about this week where they say, they talk about how if that oxygen mask drops down, right, and like they pull, they're usually yellow and have like a bag and a little elasticy thing. But the line that they say is, and I would say this to us anyway, they say, in the event of an emergency, put your own oxygen mask on first before helping others, Right? They say, put it on first. That's your way of salvation. Put it on first before you start helping other people put theirs on. And I think sometimes we are in such a hurry or we feel guilted into going and telling other people about the, the, the Savior who's come for us, the one who has come into our world to save, that we haven't even believed in him ourselves first. We've not truly called out upon him. And no wonder then we don't actually go tell him. No wonder we don't feel excited or eager to tell them because we haven't put the mask on ourselves first. We haven't experienced the joy of salvation, the freedom of soul, and we cry out and know that I can have a clean conscience and I can have forgiveness of sin and hope of eternal life. We must put our mask on first before we extend masks to others. We must call out upon the name of Christ ourselves before we call others to do the same. Amen? I'm going to pray for us. I'm going to invite the worship team to come forward. We're going to sing a closing song.